and that resurrection is a little taste of heaven. Heaven is Cassandra White Soprano. <laughs> Heaven is the full resurrection music ministry. And uh, just working so hard. And, uh, and I was lucky enough, I got to sit in the brass section of heaven. <laughs> and you will want to stay today to the very, very end of the service. Uh, the full music ministry is, has a piece that uh, I, I still haven't come down from um, at the 9 o'clock service. So... So much for you today. We oftentimes say that you need to come to Resurrection at least three Sundays to get a chance to see all the different music groups and everything. And uh, this Sunday you've had a chance to see Resurrection Music Ministry and more. And uh, we're so glad that you're here today. Oh, resurrection really is the perfect day to make the announcement that I'm going to make at this time. Uh, as I look into your heart and into your eyes, I see how much uh, you hunger to go deeper and deeper into your faith and into Christian maturity. And we are a church with doors that are open wide, 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 welcoming the community and beyond and sharing God's unconditional love. But we also want to not only have the doors open wide, but open deep so that people when they come here can have a place to really learn more about the faith and to learn more about Christian education and going into formation. Uh, we want to revitalize and resurrect our home groups. And we have some operating now, but we want to have home groups all throughout this region where lives will be changed in homes and across tables. And after a long and extensive search for a director of life development, it seems very appropriate that Resurrection Sunday is the day that we resurrect our life development ministry. And I am so pleased to introduce to you today, please give a warm resurrection welcome to Reverend Kristen Klein Cecchettini. And uh, if you were here from Monday Thursday, you had a sneak preview of her gifts when it comes to sharing from the heart and taking you right to the heart of Christ. Powerful, powerful Thursday night. Uh, we weren't sure that was going to happen, so we hadn't announced it, and then God just worked and, and brought you here for that service, and it was amazing. This, this space was really turned into a, to a large dining room, and it was so powerful to watch lives change across tables on Thursday night and then Friday night as well. Mark May 18th on your calendar. That will be Reverend Kristen's debut for her preaching, first time to preach at Resurrection, and it will be powerful, and you want to be here for that. <sighs> this week I have found myself thinking back to Easter 20 years ago, 1988. I was less than a year out of seminary, and boy, did I ever have it figured out. <laughs> I was the new associate pastor at Linwood Church of the Nazarene, and I really had it going. I knew how to do it, how to say it. In fact, I just figured it out so well that I knew better than anyone around me how to do it. And one of my assignments at Linwood Church of the Nazarene just outside Seattle was to work as children's pastor. And so I had this great joy to work with children of all ages. And Easter 20 years ago, one of my assignments 
was to do children's church with the five and six-year-olds. And we had this wonderful group of five and six-year-olds in the room, and I thought, I'm going to teach them the real meaning of Easter. And so I thought I would set them up with a simple question, but a very deep question, which is, what does Easter mean? Now, I just knew that when I asked that question that the kids would all have their hands up waving and they'd talk about Easter bunnies and chocolate rabbits and new dresses and new outfits. The Easter bunny. I I knew this would be their answer. So when I asked the question, I would then be able to redirect their wrong answers with the right answer. and feel so, so good about my role as associate pastor. So I asked the question, what does Easter really mean? And little Veronica Popper, her hand shot right up, and she was waving her hand like you wouldn't believe it. Call on me, call on me, call on me. And I knew this was going to be my chance to tell them the real story of Easter, that she was going to say something about Easter bunnies and chocolate rabbits. Call on me, call on me. All right, Veronica, tell us what Easter really means. And she said, Jesus gets back to life. (laughs) Here I was with my seminary degree, (laughs) my Master of Divinity. And yet she nailed it on the first try. What does Easter mean? Jesus gets back to life. She spoke of a a Jesus who, who went on a journey. A journey to death and separation and grief and loss. A Jesus who goes to that most isolated place and then gets back to life. Oh, she gave me so much to think about, and I knew that day that, that, that she would keep my theology grounded and fresh where it really needed to be. She had forever made it clear to me what Easter is all about. Oftentimes on Sunday afternoons, I take a nap And later that day I was taking my nap and I was thinking and reflecting about what little Veronica Popper said and just kind of basking in the meaning of it. Jesus gets back to life. Jesus gets back to life. And I kind of drifted off into a half sleep. And in my half sleep, Veronica came to me again. But this time she wasn't waving her hands wildly. In this kind of half-dream state, she came to me, and she took my hand. She said, yes, Jesus gets back to life. But Pastor Dwayne, when are you going to get back to life? Once again, she nailed it. I I had the best intentions going into ministry. I I wanted to serve Christ. And yet, in pastoring in the Nazarene church, I had rationalized myself 
into a tomb. You know, I, I was out to God. I was out to my family. But I knew I couldn't be out to that congregation and, and still pastor. And so I said to myself, I'll just never preach a sermon I don't believe. And so I sort of subtly stepped into that tomb, not realizing it was a tomb. But the truth is, I was preaching a sermon every day to the sermon of my life. And the sermon I was preaching was a lie. The congregation, they, they said, we love you, Pastor Dwayne, we really love you. And I thought to myself, you don't really love me because how can you love me if you don't know me? There was a stone covering the tomb from which I pastored. And I can't tell you how many days I would drive up close to the church and put my head on the steering wheel and cry. Because once again, I had to walk through those doors and be someone I was not. I had to create someone to pastor. Who was I? I was dead pastor walking. I created a tomb. Fortunately, Veronica also showed me a way out. In a way, she became the face of Christ to me. In that place, I, I could feel her heart and her spirit saying, you don't have to do it this way anymore. You can be who you are. A little child will lead them. And from that day, Veronica Popper helped me begin to make new choices to hold on to the dream and the vision that there was a church somewhere where I could pastor from the empty tomb. A church somewhere where I could pastor in the freedom, in the truth of who God created me to be. I could walk out of a tomb and say, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will rise you up with Christ. It's so easy for us to end up in tombs. You know, you get that job you've dreamed of, the one you always wanted. In the first couple of days on the job, it goes well, but then your boss asks you to do something that you didn't think you'd have to do. And suddenly that word integrity is hanging right over your head. Integrity equals life. But in order to make it, you have to shade things a little bit, approach things a little bit, rationalize a little bit. And before you know it, you are in a tomb of your own making. There's a stone and you can't quite break through. It's so easy for us to end up in tombs. You finally have that dream relationship. Oh, you had sort of admired her from afar, and finally you got together and you had that date and it began to work and the relationship took off, 
And things were going so wonderful. You had your holy union. You had your home. But it came time to furnish the home. And boy, that credit card really came in handy. <laughs> and without even thinking about it, you just kind of rationalize those extra expenses. And the debt got larger and larger and larger. And that little plastic card just kind of slid through that machine so easy. <laughs> with all those extravagances. But before you know it, you are in a tomb of debt. And one of you has to take a second job to pay off the bills. You're trying to fight your way out. But you're working till 11 and getting up until 6 and suddenly there's no time for the relationship anymore. And it begins to die a little bit every day. And the next thing you know, you're both in a tomb. And a stone is blocking the entrance. And you are so in love. So in life. And now you just feel numb. You crawl into bed. Pull up the sheets. And turn your back to each other. The tomb. The good news is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is also our resurrection. Jesus calls us to fullness of life. And our scripture today in Colossians speaks of what this life can be like. It's a powerful scripture that says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue it. Make choices over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you, but instead, look up. Look up and be alert to what is going on around you in Christ. That's where the action is. See things from Christ's perspective. Your old life is dead. So quit carrying those tombs around with you on your back. Your life is not a portable moving tomb. Your life is a possibility of new life. So live the life. Look up. Look with hope. Live a resurrected life. Your new life. Your real life. Even though invisible to spectators is with Christ in God. Christ is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. And here's one of the best parts. It's the real you that will show up. The real you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The glorious you, the fabulous you, the powerful you, the alive you, the dreaming you, believing you, giving you, living you, that's who shows up. You rise with Christ. Oh, it's so easy, though, to crawl back in the tomb, or in some cases, to actually get on the cross. <laughs> pound a nail in. We do it to each other. We do it to ourselves. Sometimes we don't make the best choice. And that little twinge means to make a better choice. But sometimes we have this tendency because of our toxic religious backgrounds to take that little twinge that's simply there to correct us 
And we, we take that twinge and we turn it into shame and guilt and we beat ourselves up and we walk around saying Christ has risen, Christ has risen indeed while beating ourselves on the back the entire time. We keep nailing ourselves to the cross and nailing each other to the cross. And in some places, this actually happens literally. This is a report from the 2006 Associated Press about something that happens even this last Friday in the Philippines. Listen to this. Each year on Good Friday, a dozen or so Christian penitents are taken to a rice field near San Pedro Catod a farming village located about 45 miles north of Manila in the Philippines. There they are nailed to wooden crosses using stainless steel nails that have been disinfected with alcohol. They remain on the crosses until they feel absolved of their sins, then are removed and taken for medical care. Religious authorities oppose this folk tradition, but it continues persistently despite the church's attempt to shut it down. According to a 2006 Associated Press article, one man, a 45-year-old sign painter named Ruben Inahe, has been nailed to the cross more than 20 times. He told reporters it was his way of thanking God after he miraculously survived the fall from a building where he had been working. You know that religion has become entombed and become toxic when gratitude is somehow turned into self-abuse. What you've just heard is a very vivid way it happens. But again, we do it in subtle ways. We entomb ourselves in subtle ways. The put-downs, I'm not good enough. That's one foot in the tomb. I'll never have what I want. Another foot in the tomb. Thinking we're not good enough is a way of entombing ourselves and moving away from the love that God holds for us. And yet the resurrection story is our story too. Jesus says, rise up. You no longer have to live how you've lived. Live in the fullness of love. And I love the words of Paul in Romans where Paul says to us today, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rise up, resurrection, into the fullness of life that is yours. Come out of the tomb and walk in life. We do have a choice, and that's what Colossians is talking about, making choices for life, choices for good, choices for truth, choices for values. We are always moving in one direction or another. And we can choose to take every step towards the risen life or step backwards to death. Every step can be a step to resurrection. And I love another story that talks about how this resurrection life can become our life. This is Becca Stevens. She was on a trip to Nicaragua, and there was a chapel way at the top of a hill. On the way up to the top of the hill, there were various carved stones that depicted the life of Jesus. These stones were there so on the journey to the top you could stop and meditate and pray. 
Wait till you hear what happens at the seventh stop, the final stop, which depicts the crucifixion of Jesus. Wonderful story. We walked in full silence, yearning to reach the top of the mountain. I realized that as I took each step, I was saying the name of someone in prayer. I prayed for my family, my friends, people in the church, people I knew from the streets, people from my past, saints and babies I've baptized. The circle of prayer got wider and wider as the endless steps continued. My eyes and heart were overflowing with gratitude for all the love I have known in this world. Finally, 45 minutes later, we reached the stone depicting the crucifixion of Christ. I looked up to see that the stone had given way to green moss and was crumbling. It was no longer possible to see the carved image of Jesus being crucified. The stone was literally rolling away, and Jesus was rising from the rock, as on the very first Easter morning. Where once there was death, where once there was stone, there is now green and life and space and hope. The world needs a place like this, a place called resurrection, where our dreams come alive again, where we imagine life to dream, believe, give, live. Rise up, resurrection. Rise up and live the resurrected life. Amen.